Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the 13th guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is contemporary artist Catherine Chinatree. Catherine Chinatree is a Margate-based multidisciplinary artist who is interested in the representational idea of a shared reality with a particular focus on identity, dualism and cultural fluidity. Being of Welsh, Caribbean and Irish descent, she is deeply rooted in hybrid culture and seeks inspiration from the outside world of daily life her daily activities, symbolism, rituals, and the people she meets. Her colour palette pops with energy as she creates swarming soups of sea swimmers, the grimace and pleasure etched across their faces as they submerge and resubmerge across the canvas. Her practice is both indoors and outdoors. Her canvases are rich with vibrancy and energy, and her outdoor murals, some incredibly large in scale, complement this side of her practice, taking her swarming brushstrokes out into the communities which originally inspired her. Catherine Chantree studied her MA at Wimbledon College of Arts. She has been shortlisted for the Mercury Music Arts Prize, Nasty Woman NYC, and the Griffin and Elephant New Graduates Art Prize. She completed an artist residency with Elephant Magazine and has just returned to Margate after a three-month-long residency in Sintra, Portugal for the Artist Residency in Motherhood. Recently, she was commissioned by Artist Globe for the World Reimagined Project, where she painted a huge globe, which is on permanent display at the World Museum in Liverpool. She also recently created a huge wall-based mural for Rise Up Residency in Margate, which aimed to highlight ocean conservation and biodiversity. And as part of the commemorative installation campaign, created a tapestry for the UK COVID-19 inquiry. Catherine Chinatree, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Lovely intro. I'm glad you liked it. So tell me about your journey into the art world and how did you start? Right, so it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you kind of sometimes, you just stum- not stumble into it, but I feel like I stumbled a little bit into the art world because in school, I, my main actual interest was football. I wanted to play football, but I wasn't allowed to play football. Really? Yeah, I wasn't allowed. 
like I had this like desire because I just wanted to play football all the time but one of the boys didn't let me join in and the teachers wouldn't allow me so it's funny but I do feel like this is like the the turning point because then when it's a painting competition and I remember joining once at school when I was shouting I want to play football I want to play football I get sent out of class for shouting it and then she was like you've won the painting prize which is a painting Van Gogh's sunflower and uh I don't know well there's something in me then that I think it was like oh okay it's kind of like it quite it quietened me down a little bit and um I was asking my mum like I want to get more paints and started to she said I don't remember because I always remember just wanted to play outside but she said I was always drawing always painting but it's really weird that I don't remember that I don't know why yeah so that was kind of I feel like that was my <laughs> intro to the art world it's straight straight away with the competition and then I think then I did my foundation and actually this was for me the turning point was my tutor on my foundation course the lovely wonderful late Deborah Lovegrove an amazing 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 human and I think she could tell with me that I wasn't going to be the kind of, you know, she see that she had to push me in the direction that I lived my lifestyle because when I wanted to, she took me to Venice, she took me to Rome and she spoke to me about, introduced me to the photographer Corinne Day and her kind of grungy, dirty realism photographs. And she was showing me that it was like, you can actually document the, not, not that I lived the dirty, grungy lifestyle, I don't know, I think that she saw that there was something in me that wanted to concentrate on people, everyday people, and she was, and she really encouraged that. She showed me works by Jenny Saville and showed me that you can be as big and grotesque and you can go as grungy as you want. And that was really, really, really inspired me. And I remember going out when I spent months at this space called Wet Centre, which is a space in Leicester that the government did a trial. So I was like 17, 18 at this time on my own girl in this alcoholic center where people are allowed to go and get drunk all day and it was to keep them up the street so I used to go in this is for my foundation work I used to go in and photograph and talk to the people there that was drinking and drunk and I don't know what attracted me to it but I think it was kind of a it was sort of like a, it felt it felt rebellious it felt that I could sit I could do the artwork but I could do it my way so I tried to look for the most extreme but I also felt there's it there was part of me as well that felt that you know, well, why should there be a difference? Why should we judge people? So I did these huge paintings and I, I remember calling it, there was one man um, and everyone used to call him Grandad because he was so funny. And I remember just doing a big painting of Grandad holding a supertenant's can. So that was kind of my line. I felt like I found my line at that point and kind of ran with that for a while. Not just drunk people, but just anyone, anyone that I'd meet, I was, that I'd think that other people might look down on. I was like, I'm going to paint them. So that took me into Falmouth Uni and carried on, carried on that way, really. So then you went to Falmouth for your BA? Did my BA there and Falmouth had a lot of interesting people there. I met this wonderful sailor called Bernie and, you know, a lot of friends. It's funny because a lot of the people that I'd meet to paint actually became friends, but also came friends with my friends. So like Bernie, this old sailor who'd lost his wife and who lived in the sailor's home, sweet, sweet old man. He became good friends with Go Morris dancing with him, but he loved music. So I remember saying to him, Oh, can I paint you with a big pair of headphones on? Because he had proper, you know, sailors got, you know, that skin is very, he had all the, the laughter line, the sea lines on his face. And it was that painting that got shortlisted for the Maggie Music Prize. So, yeah, so that was great. Took me back to London. But actually, at that point, I was doing my Erasmus um, and I did an Erasmus and did that in Madrid. 
So that was quite exciting. It's like, yeah, I'm in Madrid and then I'm flying back to London to do this exhibition. So it all felt really fun and it felt aligned with what the way I wanted to live, like that I could paint, I could mingle with people and then I could travel. Because a big part of my interest was that I wanted to see the world. Never really went on holiday or anything as a kid. And then a friend of mine, we went to Texas when I was 15. I was like, never been on a plane. And I was like, all of a sudden I was in Texas and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So it was like, if you've not had something as a kid, like as soon as you're a teenager, you want it, you want it more. Um, so me and a friend proposed to do workshops um, in Cuba, in Havana, and we won a prize to do that. So we spent straight after uni, went to Havana for three months. And yeah, so this is kind of my entry point into a life, and into a lifestyle, if anything, as well. Like, I love painting, but it's also that idea of how do you fit your, like, how you want to live into what you do as well. So it all felt like the way I could do it. And after you studied at Falmouth, did you go straight into your MA at Wimbledon? No, no. So I didn't, it took, I spent quite a while. I had this thing, I was like, I'm not going to do that straight away. I'm going to save that up for when I really need it. So and so I didn't think about an MA for a while. I was really adverse. I was like, there's no way I'm going to do an MA straight away. I'm going to go out on a travel, you know, you leave all enthusiastic. I'm going to buy every single door down. I'm going to apply for every... And then I was like, you can you can get money, you can get like funded. Like it, it all was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, not that that necessarily went down that way. Um, obviously you hit reality and it's like, no, you're not really successful. No, you're not really successful. But still the idea that you can do that was kind of, was kind of fascinating to me. So no, I, I painted a lot, traveled a lot. And it wasn't until I had my son that I decided, okay, I'm out of the loop now. I need to go back and do my MA. Wow, how old was he when you did your MA? Two. <laughs> and I was living wow. in Leicester. Yeah, I was living in Leicester. And you were commuting into Wimbledon? So Monday to Friday, I would live in so different locations with a bit of Airbnbs because it was quite hard to get streamlined accommodation. So, But the thing was, again, it's like I feel like everything surrounding like arts career and motherhood and this it all has to fit in place if one thing doesn't fit in then I don't do it so I heard about forest school and I wanted forest nursery sorry so I was like oh there's a forest nursery in Wimbledon so I was like tick tick I can take him to forest nursery and then I can go and do my masters and that seemed like the most easy logical way to do it and I was so tired because literally I would bike I'd have him on the back of my bike and I would bike into the forest nursery and then I'd bike back to the uni, go in to do my master's, bike back <laughs> to the forest nursery, pick him up, bike home and then do all of that mother mother stuff. And we'd do that Monday to Friday and then we'd train it and go back to Leicester in the weekends. So it's absolutely insane. And it was two years of doing that. Isn't it amazing what you do when you set your mind to something and you're like, right, this this is my path, this is what I'm going to do. But like looking back at it, are you just amazed that you were able to do that? Yeah, and I feel like I just, I feel like I did it. And I was asking questions around this idea of like, how do you create work as a, as a new mum? Just before, like now I think we're in a good place for that. And I think there's so much, there's so, you know, there's so many exciting projects happening and, and more talk about it. I remember sending an email to one of the head of faculties at Wimbledon just and expressed my concerns saying, I'm concerned about how do I create work as a new mum? There's something going on. I'm not, it doesn't feel right. 
it didn't go anywhere. She was quite, she was really sweet. She was like, thanks for asking these questions. And it's something that we're going to talk about. And like, I was like, could there be a lecture? Could somebody come in? Because we're having all these fantastic lecturers, but none of them are mums. Like there was nothing, there was no connection there. And because Sonny was only two and at that such a sweet age, I felt like he's the biggest creation I've just made. And like now I've got to go in and especially with my work at that time, it's all about other people. And I wasn't ready to make it about being a mum at that point. Maybe I, I'm still don't really make work about being a mum. Maybe one day I will, but just it's not at the moment. Um, so I found that a real, real, real struggle. It felt quite disconnected. Um, but now I wouldn't. I feel like it shifted. I feel like it shifted completely. But I still did it. It was still great. It was still fun. But I did find it a real challenge. I, I was super challenged more than I knew I was going to be. But straight afterwards, as soon as I finished my MA, I literally was like, right, we are going. I find a way, we're doing it, and we're going to Thailand for three months. I, I almost needed to get out of, I don't know why, I, almost, I felt like I just needed to get out of the institutional way of, of learning. But even though it was, it was great and I learned many things, I, I, I almost kind of like needed to decompress from it because it was so, because it was so intense. I thought, let me just like take what I've learned and leave the country for a <laughs> the country. Wow, so then you did three months in Thailand, were you travelling around? Yeah, we travelled around, we based ourselves in Bangkok. So it was great because actually at the end of my MA, I was shortlisted for the Elephant and Griffin um, Art New Graduate Arts Prize, which which was the boost that I needed because I didn't think I was doing very well. I didn't think I was, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing very well and I'm fine, I'm struggling. So sometimes, in the, but I was like, I'll enter a few competitions, enter that. So it was, it was a good, it was a good kind of like, okay, you know, confidence boost, but still, I still felt it was necessary to go. And it must have into another, into another culture for a little bit and see if, and see if that what I was talking about on my eight still stood. It was like, I've got these interests. Will they still stand if I'm not here? And did they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and found myself, I think that was actually a turning point in the work that I've been making actually, because I'd, I'd exercise on this park. I'd go to this park across the road um, and I'd run. And I found that there was a big community of people exercising all before eight o'clock, before they'd have the, every day eight o'clock, they'd have the uh, national anthem and everyone has to stop what they're doing. Everyone stops what they're doing. So everyone seems to do this exercise before that. And I just was really like, and, and different colours of the day. So you'd have like on a Monday, people would wear a different colour Tuesday. Like there's a, yeah, there's a thing in, in Thailand where people wear different colours on different days to represent, um, yeah. So I was really, I thought that's what, yes, yeah, so I started to notice. I thought, why is everyone wearing yellow today? And that's when I started got interested in this idea of the movement and, and kind of like how people move and, yeah, and different forms and things like that. It, it, it was great. Talking about traveling, you've just come back from your three-month residency in Sintra in Portugal. And the residency was artist residency in motherhood. Can you tell me how you found out about the residency, how you put it into motion with your son and how you responded to your time there? Yeah, so the artist residency in motherhood, I'd heard about, I was doing the Contemporary Art Academy course and one of the students, one of the teachers, the guest speakers was Hattie Judah and she mentioned about this artist residence in motherhood and I was like, what's that? And then she was explaining that a lot of people have done it and it's a self-imposed residency that you can do yourself. Um, so I went onto the website to have a look and I, I remember thinking, I do, I found out about, I'll tell you about the educational side uh, for Sunny, 
And then I was like, well, how could I do a residency? But So when I found the Artist Residency Motherhood website, that it's something you could do, and there's already community people doing it, I felt for some reason that helped, because for me just to go and say, I'm doing a residency, it didn't click at that point. But when I saw this, and it was quite exciting, and that you'd go on the map, and there's an interactive map, and you could see the people that are doing it, and then you go onto their website, you can contact them and say, oh, I'm doing it. So you can kind of build up a network that's that's online because we're all doing things online now anyway so I had that piece to the puzzle and then a friend told me about this education system called boundless education that is probably about two years running now nearly two years and it's a cohort so you could take your child everyone would go as a new cohort and they'd go and be taught for three months and I was like so he could go to school for three months and I could do the self-imposed residency so they was the two things that joined together because, you know, I've been wanting to do residency for a while and obviously age-old thing that how do you do it as a single mom with a child that also needs his education. So I was like, I don't want to take, okay, I could pull him out of school and he could come and do it. Like, I'm, it's not that I'm averse to take him out of school or anything like that. It's more that, but when he gets there, it's okay for me to be educating myself and doing it, but what's he going to get? So that was how I did it so that he could go to school and then I'd go off and then and do my work. And it was great. It was so good. And so there was already a network of people doing residencies in Sintra. So all around the world. So this uh, this artist residency motherhood is, I mean, you could do it from, you could, you don't have to go anywhere to do it. The whole idea is that you could, if you wanted to, you could do it from your living room. But the idea is that you're, you're committing yourself, you're doing it, but you're not asking permission from somebody else to do it. Because having someone else in charge of your, of your life sometimes is a, is, is a pain because it's a lot of the times, you know, these opportunities as well, they're so, you know, there's so many people and then it's a no and it's like, okay, so I don't get to do that. And that didn't settle for me. So it's like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it my way. Um, and I'm still going to do it. And I'm going to go to the galleries and I've got friends in Lisbon and we're going to go online. I'm going to, I joined the art quest. Um, I did a one-talk create with art quest during while I was there. So I got to speak about, so I still had, those connection points to talk about the work. I just think sometimes you have to you have to figure it out for yourself because you can still do it. And it was really great to have this whole, and because I had a ready-made community there of families um, that were also joined Boundless Education, it was like, and they, there was a co-work, we had a co-working space. So we also had them and they were more, they were, so I had a ready-made audience as well for the work to, to, to talk about it as well, yeah. So as part of the, was it called Boundless? Yeah. As part of that, they also provide co-working space for the parents. Yeah. So you've got a co-working Yeah. What? That's amazing. Yeah. So that just worked out so beautifully, didn't it? Yeah. I think the residencies, they can be quite formal and it's very like set in stone. It's like, you know, you go to this funny remote place and it's just for you and they're not super flexible. So to find something that's more flexible is incredible. Yeah, and and it's and it's still fitting in part of your life. So like, I don't want to have with my practice. I don't like it to be isolated. It's not that I work, we go and do this, and I'm part of that, and then I live this other life here. For me, it has to like the same way we do my masters and taking study into the forest. It has to all it has to all connect. Otherwise, it, it is too se- it's too separated for me. And my work's not even about that. It's so it's about kind of like how you live your life in a kind of circular way. I was all inclusive. It has to all be inclusive in itself. Else it's not, this is not going to work. 
And how did you respond to the residencies in terms of the work that you made, the inspiration that you found? Absolutely. It was was really enjoyable because for one, I decided to challenge myself by doing the smaller work. So I needed to be practical about it. I thought, okay, we've got this spot. So we've got everything set up. But now I need to think of of a way. Because when I first arrived, the idea was not to go with any plans. So I had, so normally a lot of the time when I'm working, I'm like trying to work 10 steps ahead of myself and go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sketch of this. I might do this. And I'll have a plan of what I'm going to do. And it's funny because I remember being at uni and one of the uh, teachers was on about residencies. And his advice was to know exactly what you're going to do so you can just enjoy yourself. I remember him saying, I actually made work before and pretended I made it there. And I was like, "Mm, actually, nah. I'm not telling me that idea. That's the worst advice I've ever heard. And I remember thinking about that just before this race. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not mentioning any names. But I'm thinking, no, I'm going to go with no idea. <laughs> Isn't that the point? Yeah. That you go to. Yeah, so- exactly the point. <laughs> <laughs> you soak up the atmosphere yeah. that you can't get when you're yeah. at home. It challenges you and your practice. And it's meant to be this amazing moment. And. Yeah, that's just cheating. Yeah, and <laughs> and a couple of nights before, I was in with another mum. was in in the pub and I was joking, and I says, "I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress up as SpongeBob SquarePants. I'm going to like just soak everything up." And we was cracking up. I'm a good joke about that. <laughs> that I'm going to walk around as SpongeBob. And and then the funny thing is, when we got to the airport, the lady at the check-in desk, it was all you know, it's all official. Like, I see passports and everything's really serious. But behind her. And how we got there, I have no idea. It was a SpongeBob sticker that was stuck on the luggage <laughs> And I'm like, who is stuck? It's SpongeBob. So I was like, right. Oh, that's a sign. Let's go. That is a sign. It's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't dress up in SpongeBob Square pants, but I did. And I'm not joking. I did sometimes think about when I was in the moment, so I was like, getting a bit too serious or thinking a little bit over myself. I thought, SpongeBob. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> who lives in a pineapple under the sea? <laughs> Things are getting too serious. Let me just sing it. <laughs> exactly. And not taking yourself too seriously or not wanting to go out, you know, not getting involved in some of the events, just just go for it. So that that was my, that was the way, that was kind of the way I was thinking about it. And it, you know, I spent two weeks just going around, looking at the colour palettes, that was really fun just to go, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to create a color palette, but I need it to be out. I need to go out and, and do it on the outside um, and just see, especially with Portugal Central, the colors are insane, beautiful, The all the different pinks. And apparently as an architect of uh, the palace decided that Sintra would be pink because pink complements green. So that is why there's a, a lot of peachy pink in it. I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, so you see a lot of pink buildings everywhere because it's so lush and so green. So that was really nice. And there's loads of castles. And loads of castles and we have just castle upon castle and and it's just the greenness of it as well because the king, so the king was a, a, he brought the romanticism to Sintra because he was an artist. So it's really super lush. Like everyone's walking around sneezing because everyone's like, oh, I didn't know I had an allergy. Until you get to Sintra. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's so many. Honestly, it's so, like, I remember a lady, because I went to the Holy Pad shop, so I was like, I think, 
I think I might you know, need something for for allergies because I don't know something for my allergies. And she was like, yeah, some people can't even live there. They have to stay there for a little bit and they have to leave because it's too much because there's plants from all over the world, which is also interesting. It's like this idea of, you know, people get moved all over the world and so, but so the plants, they're not native as well. Yeah, how amazing is that? Um, I would just, I would really suffer. I've got awful allergies. I don't think that I could go. <laughs> quercetin, quercetin, she told me, you just got to take quercetin. Oh, what is yeah. quercetin? It's a supplement that you find, I think it's found in onions. But it's, so I took quercetin and, it was, and I was absolutely fine. Really? Yeah. Well, that is a very useful tip. <laughs> <laughs> You work indoors and outdoors and you've been involved in some incredible projects, including, as I said earlier, customising a huge globe, which is now on show in the World Museum in Liverpool. How do you juggle the different sides of your practice and do you have a preferred one? Oh, do I have a preferred one? Um, I'll go straight in with that. I don't, I don't have a preferred one. I definitely enjoy both sides because they both bring different things. So uh, being outside and working is instant. It's like that instant kind of, you get that, that whatever it is when you make a piece of work in the studio and you find, and it, and it comes together and you like, you wait for that coming together moment through the process. It take, it's just so much quicker outside. So you just get that, that gratification sooner. But then, and also being outside and, and chatting to people. I think that's my favorite part of working outside. When I did the mural in Margate on that street, like even if I go down that street now, I see the neighbours and they're like, oh, hi, I've not seen you for ages. How are you? And it's like, you get, it was kind of a, because you're making it up the street as well, like, because you're there working and I see their work and day in, day out. And it's something that they get to enjoy too. Like you, you, you kind of become part of that community pretty quick. It's not like you're not like an outsider. And I really, really enjoy that. You don't get that inside a studio. You don't even get that at an exhibition. You meet people at shows and stuff, but there's a there's a different side to it. It's not even though the community comes through the doors, but you don't get it when you're working. And I come from a real working family as well, like market traders and stuff when I was younger. So I know that idea of like being up front and you're out and hi there and it's it's something so I I feel like it sometimes reminds me of that a little bit. I used to go see my nana in the market and she's there and she's up front. And you're just responding and there's something about working outside that's similar to that but then there's times where you don't want to be outside. <laughs> you don't want to be up front you want to be inside so it's like tick so then when you do want to be in the studio you want your quiet time because we're all especially as women like we have that don't we we're like naturally we have that as from our cycles that we're we're out and then we're in so if i could time it to where i'm like okay I'm on the side, I'm on the part of my cycle where I'm out, I'm going to go out and paint. And then when I'm like, actually don't want to see anything or anyone, I'm going to go in. That would be a, that would be ideal. <laughs> if only it was like that. <laughs> but I do, I do. I've, to be honest, since I read this book, Period Power, I, I do, I do kind of try and chart it more. And I was actually happy at the exhibition coming. I was like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the happy phase. I'm in my social stage. Yeah. Do you know what? I didn't know there was a social stage. I've never really thought about it before, that it was affected by your cycle. Yeah. And when you start to learn it, it's like your superpower because you know it and you know where it's coming from. But it took so, like, I'm nearly 40. It took so long to get to this bit. Like, I should have known this 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it might change your time, but 
would have been nice to discover it, but never mind. So it's kind of like my indoor outdoor is great. And I think for me, like the preference side of it as well is that my favorite part of working is when you get that point where there's a change, where you kind of see how a bike's going to be. And then there's a time that something changes in it. And it's normally actually a difficult time where it's like, okay, this is a little bit of a, a struggle, not struggle, but kind of like, okay, this is a point where I'm not sure. And if you go with it, it normally it works and you, and you get something that's unexpected. And again, you have to work through that process outside or inside, but again, it just comes faster outside because you've only got a limited time to do something. So you kind of, you get more adrenaline because it's like, okay, I've got to do it and you're challenging yourself. But I, I enjoy them both. But with the work outdoors, do you, is most of the time spent on it in your studio, designing it, kind of having mock-ups and deciding on color palette and stuff so that when you go out there you're fully prepared and you can just go for it it leaves less to chance and serendipity because most of the work is already done beforehand or do you work a lot instantaneously on the wall a, a little bit of both so I definitely will have a plan otherwise I'm like oh I'll stare at the wall I have to have a plan to draw it up but then the really I feel like it'd be a shame if there was nothing new coming out of it if it was literally from studio to wall because my I, I like to work in the same process so if I'm doing a painting in the studio and, and I go through that process of making it work and composition and where's it flowing I like to do that outside too I don't like to have like a different style it's not like that's my studio work and that's the outside hopefully there's a there's a similarity between them both the only thing with the outside is you think you know how it's going to look but then if you're taking into consideration what's around it and, and the wall itself and then all of a sudden you, you're faced with oh I didn't realize that that color over there three doors down is going to be incorporated so you have to change it up because you I would like to see it as something that sits in naturally with its location like it has even though it's like okay it's clearly different but it had I feel like you have to take into consideration what's around it otherwise I don't know I feel like you, you need to consider it all which you don't do on a canvas. You're only considering that square. Then you've just got that space and it's blank, whereas outside. So you, there, are, there are other challenges, even though you think you know what you're going to do. Uh, there, there are other things that, that crop up. It's, diff- it's just different. Yeah, I'd never really thought about that before, that, um, that yeah, you'd have to take into account the surroundings. You're right, like when you work on a canvas, you're expecting it to be on a blank wall. You don't take into consideration the environment that it's going to be exhibited in. You're just making work that's specific to that piece, whereas outside on a wall, to take into consideration, yeah, the colours that are surrounding it, the environment, maybe there's a tree in front of the main piece you know that from afar you're going to see that tree yeah and it's not something and I suppose life's so busy that you don't go in an ideal world you'd go to the side and you sit there and you try and take it to the report but that doesn't happen you just go okay I've got to do that there okay that's the spot and you wouldn't necessarily have the time you just go specifically to do that yeah all this wires and wires coming out and things like you don't see that yeah it's it's completely it's, it's exciting I think it's a fun fun way of working and they think if I've just done that it's gonna be so easy just going back in the studio and doing a blank canvas <laughs> but no you know it's not necessarily and even the glow when I did that because I didn't when I designed that I designed it on a rectangle and then I would and then the globe arrived this huge globe and it's like 
now I could paint the globe. I was like, oh, it's different painting on something that's round like this. It's because you've actually got four sides. So when you've got a canvas, you've got it's flat. And when you want a globe, you're like, I've got a composition here, and then I've got the side, and then I've got the back, and then I've got this. so it's almost like creating four paintings in one. So that was that was also that was another fun challenge. But you know, as I get older, I enjoy the challenges. I find them more exciting because I'm not so fussed about it being how I want it to be, or I'm getting more confidence in myself and not worried about, well, oh, it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. I'm enjoying the mistakes. I, you know, I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying the like. If it doesn't quite work, I'm fine with that. So yeah, it's it's getting it's getting fun. It's getting more exciting. It feels like you're really challenging yourself, like you said, with the globe, even with the postcards that you did for the art and a postcard at International Women's Day, you'd never worked that small before and and they were just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. In the exhibition that we have together at the moment, again again, you've worked on some tiles which are so gorgeous. Yeah, it just feels like you're really challenging yourself and pushing yourself a bit to work on things that are a bit more unexpected. Yeah, I'm, I, I am. And I think the, the one thing's leading on to the next. So from the postcards was the this idea of, okay, I can do smaller works. I can do intimate works that are going to show these ideas in, a, in, in that small scale work. So that's where I go into Sintra. I'm going to do small works because for one, it's sustainable. I'm not going to... I can just travel. I'll go. I'm on a plane. I've got to get back. I don't want to be hauling and lugging. Um, it feels unnecessary when I can do the same thing on a smaller scale. Like, why would I? You know, why would I give myself give all of that effort and all their materials as well? And what happens to their materials there? Like, you know, you've got like have a little bit more of awareness of what you're using, and especially when you're in another country and stuff. I don't want to create a lot of waste. Um, so coming back and I can just, and now if I want to develop some of them, you know, I can develop a few, a couple of them into larger works if, if it's, if it's necessary. And yeah, so I, I hope I am challenging myself. It's a scary thing if you're not. I think it's a scary thing if you're not challenging yourself. Where's that kind of magic going to happen if you're not challenging yourself? If you can place it in, oh, I can, I can paint this, I paint this well, so I just do that. I don't think I'd wake up excited doing that. Yeah, I don't think you're going to grow as an artist unless you do something that scares you a bit, that throws you off a little bit. I think you should always throw in a bit of a curveball just when you think you've got it nailed and then throw in a bit of a curveball just to <laughs> see what happens because that's sometimes when the most amazing thing can happen. Also, I think the works that you made in Sintra, they are on a smaller scale, but when you read the titles, it they're really speaking of like particular moments that you experienced while you were there and it almost feels like a diary like each one is quite a different moments like different things that you experienced that you saw and it feels like a diary and it's got this because of the smaller scale like you said they're very intimate they're, they're like these little intimate snapshots of your time there yeah I, I did enjoy doing that and I actually um, I don't think you've seen the backs of them but on the backs of them that is exactly what I did I, I titled them straight away so the tides didn't, a lot of time you make a work and the tides will come maybe a bit later or you've already thought of the title. Or, but these works are like done, titled, dated, signed. So it was more like a diary. You know, I even did more journaling there. So it's just kind of this process, like having more of a process of, okay, now that's that's done and we'll move on, move on to the next. Water seems to reoccur in a lot of your works. And other than living in Margate and seeing it daily, what draws you to it? 
well, it was Margate that drew me to drew me to the water because when I arrived and started sea swimming, that was kind of the turning point because even though I did go to Union Falmouth, so I was by the sea then and I, I didn't swim out there. And I just swam in the sea because it's there, so it's usable. Like, I think there's an interesting thing that you use what's around you, don't you? And it's like, okay, I've moved by the sea. There's a big body of water there, so I'm going to swim in it. Like, I look, I taught myself how to swim when I was in Falmouth, actually, funny enough. It's like, okay, I, was, oh, cause I didn't know how to swim before. So it was more of an interested swim before. It was more like a splash, splash. So there was no way I was going to be painting the sea then because it was like the, the point was to learn how to swim. So, you know, got that down, moved to, moved to Margate, got the swimming down. And I think actually the, the, it's funny because what attracted me to the water to begin with was the sounds. Was, was when, when I arrived at Walpole Bay um, and everyone was jumping in and everyone was making all this, Whoa! And screaming, it was Jake. Said, it was a walk on orchestra, and it was actually start, start started off with the. So it started off with people. All my work is about people, and then I was like, okay, we start doing some paintings and people and the movement and different movements in the water and and how it's different every day. But then I was like, getting more and more. But then obviously I had to paint the water, um, because that was a large part of the painting, and I really enjoyed doing that more from. I work a lot from photographs, so. But when it came to the water, I actually really enjoyed doing that from memory because I was like, I can't really work from a photograph because it's too still and it's different. So it gave me a purpose swimming as well to be like, okay, I'm not just swimming, I'm watching, I'm, I'm looking at the different shapes. I'm going to try and just not draw them even, just record them in my mind so that when I go back in the studio, I can remember like different bits and try and like have these snapshots in my head. And it's, it gets a bit addictive actually because like, even this morning I went for a swim and you're like looking again, oh, it's different again. And something about it, I feel like anyone that starts playing the sea, you you just can't stop. And then you go to the swimming pool and then you see, and then you're like, whoa, this is a whole other thing because all of a sudden it's these beautiful tiles, or especially if you're in an old school swimming pool, you've got all these different colours and and that's different again. So it's, it's quite, I think there's a lot to work with with water. And it's alive. Swimming pools are so still compared to the sea. The sea is just constantly moving, swirling, changing on a daily basis. Like the colours are different. Whereas I think a swimming pool kind of stays the same depending on who's in it. Yeah. For me, as soon as I started doing the water series, then when I went to swimming pool, I went to Hartsdown and it's been an old school swimming pool and started to be like, it's like I've seen a swimming pool for the first time. I've been to swimming pools loads, but because it's kind of part of my creative process, it's like you're seeing it the first time and I really really enjoy that like, I think that's kind of one of my favorite things is in response to work is that you get that it's like it's almost like a gift I think as us creative people it's kind of like that's what your gift is that like you get to observe things like that so you're really interested in local histories community and how these weave together I think especially for the British looking back into history and especially colonial history which I personally and I know many others was never taught at school and honestly, it's part of the UK, which I despise. How are we ever going to learn from our past failures if we brush things under the carpet? How important is it to you to highlight this and to bring it into conversation? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the same as you really with that. Like I wasn't taught it in school, but then, you know, I was part of a community of friends that if I wasn't taught it in school, would go out and then you'd know it's different. A lot of the group of, you know, a lot of the people that are community friends that I grew up with in Leicester, obviously brown and black and, so you're not taught this thing, but then you know that there's something different and then the conversations that come up 
So it's part, it's, it becomes part of you in an, in another way. Because it wasn't a conversation I had at home either, but it, it, it's there. But I, I just feel like it's naturally part of the process of, of the work because there's not a chance that I would like not unpick it or not want to learn more about it or it, it has to be present because it's there. So if it's not part of the work, then the work shouldn't, for me, doesn't exist. Like, it, it, And it's not necessarily that I'm trying to highlight it completely in my work because... But it's it's included inevitably. It's in, it's definitely included it, because it's a way of me learning it as well. It's made me understanding why I have felt certain things or about myself. I have to learn those things as well. So I using my practice to question things really to to ask questions through the work and for me to ask questions. And then I feel like even as an artist, anyway, if you you are asking those questions, you're not not I'm not going to be able to answer it but I'm able to to ask them, ask myself, ask whatever, and work through it. And yeah, about pushing things under the carpet, just absolutely no no chance. That was, I suppose that's a starting point even when, when I go back to the foundation, even being in the wet center is highlighting things. It's like, no, that is that is part of the work. And I, I think arts, that's wonderful thing about art is that the more, more people ask and the more people include it and especially now more than ever like it's impossible to ignore and not have these conversations and I feel like I hope the UK does more of it I think even being in Portugal was an eye-opener because you can't go to Portugal and not think about the colonial histories there because it's so humongous but people are people are questioning it and it felt actually more in Portugal felt more like it wasn't ignored actually there's you know speaking to people yeah, I feel like because it's more present and obviously that conversation is happening now and Portugal's got such a beautiful mix of people. So I do feel like that, it, it, it felt different. I felt like, okay, I, I, kind of these, the way that this could be questioned like more in the UK could learn a little bit more from how they're asking these questions. I don't even know why. It's kind of like, it's hard for me. You just know, it's almost like you know and the way people communicating with each other, the way they're interacting, you can you can you can see it. It's more visual. Your Rise Up Residency mural that was in collaboration with the local historian Peter Nichols. Yeah, and that was super interesting. So he discovered slave ships in the area. His research of Peter's doing is so massive. It's it's so interesting and like important. For the mural, we said. Like I can only touch upon a little bit of your research because there's no way we can put everything that you're doing into this one mural. So even just having a part of that, and it was so great to work with. And that was actually one of my favourite projects to do last year because it was so, to work alongside Peter and and have these conversations with him about the research that he's been doing, about the, the slave ships that are on Planet Coast that people don't even know about. And it's, you can't, you go online and, do some research on it you won't find anything and he's doing that he's going to provide us with the research that you can't get online and we both agreed when I was speaking to him about my ideas about this idea of the ancestral water bodies that are part of the ocean and part of the wake that's why it's called the wake and and this residual time and this part of his research was a lady called Christine Sharp and she researched the residual time of say when slaves were thrown over or jumped overboard the residual time of that the organisms in the waters, millions of years, that's a very long time. So it's that, everything's still in the water, like those, it's, it's living, it's a living ground. So we wanted to 
both agreed that we wanted to kind of have it kind of a celebration through the colours, through the shapes, and invite people to then look at the work. So this idea of questioning, and so invite people to come and look at the work and go, oh, what's this about? And start to ask ask questions, and then you go in and explain it, and it's like, okay, it's not not going to provide you with it straight away. I didn't want, I didn't think it's necessary to give it away straight away for the viewer. You want want you to ask questions, and, so, and hopefully the work does that. It definitely does. And did you do some tours as well as part of the mural? No, we did it. So with the people in the collective, we did a walking tour and that was really nice. So we met, we all met at Create Space and we spoke about the project and before we arrived at the at the mural. So it was, that was quite nice to have this long conversation because there's a lot to, there was a lot to talk about. So me and Pete were taking the time to talk about it and his response is very different to mine. You know, it's quite interesting to hear him talk about how he responded to it and and his input and then after this conversation we were like walking and talking we arrived there and it was really it was really nice like culminate like a culmination of, of the mural because it's it's already out there you know you know like you do work in the studio and you have an exhibition and it's kind of like ta-da! so this was kind of like you already seen the process so you're already seeing it so actually the walking tour was really nice then to be like get all the context to the work and then arrive at it. it was a really special it was a really special thing actually and it felt and also kind of like with this work where even when I speak about it I, I feel like a great sense of respect like and having respect for it it's not it's not a light-hearted piece of work it's not something that I have ownership I don't think I have ownership over this work either it's a it's co Pete but it's not just co with Pete it's a co-lab with history yeah so I feel like I'm also like grateful to the work in a sense so I kind of separating myself from that a little bit as I said earlier you're of Welsh Caribbean and Irish descent and I do feel that your work is a celebration of culture and what brings us together the things that unite us as people from all different backgrounds and walks of life whether that be sea swimming dancing movement do you find this a constant source of inspiration do you actively look for this or does it come to you through daily life I definitely, I, I think I definitely actively look. I feel like that's part of, it's hard not to. Sometimes I actively don't look. I try and do the other when I just want to chill, just <laughs> to enjoy. This is when I just want to just enjoy things and take them as they are. Because sometimes I feel like as an artist, you constantly feel like you're taking something. It's like, I don't want to, just don't want to be on the hunt for one minute. I don't want to be on the hunt. Like, I just want to enjoy it for what it is and not feel how I can use it. So sometimes I do wouldn't question myself how to just not look because I'm always looking, always on the hunt. And I feel like Portugal, actually, the residents of Portugal, that kind of was heightened times 10 because literally because of this kind of idea of being a sponge and letting go, like when I left Margate three months, I had to go up my house and like really letting go of everything and being like open and new. So I was like, oh my God, there's inspiration absolutely everywhere, every crack, every crevice. And that's why it helped doing these smaller works. So I was able to, like like you say, like a diary, like present them all in a fast-paced process. So yeah, I do feel like I'm actively looking and it's everywhere. And actually going slower is where, where I'm at now is, is finding a pace where I, where I go a little bit slower. And I think we had this conversation in the gallery about sharing an insight into something that happened. Like I do dream, I'm a very visual dreamer and it happened recently where in my dream it's like 
And it's been, this one stayed with me actually, and it's probably going to affect my work a little bit because it was like, okay, everything's fast paced. The pace, you work the work, the movement, the people, and everything's fast paced. You've got to slow it down. There's got to be something that has to be like, there's going to be more answers in the stillness. So I'm like, this is where I'm at. So I'm really looking forward to exploring this kind of more of a stiller space. So that's where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> Oh, that's exciting. Also really interesting. That's obviously something that's like in the back of your mind because there is so much movement in all of your work and the idea of, yeah, stilling it down. Um, that's really interesting. I'd love to see how that comes through. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how. And I'm also not having any expectations of it. Again, as if it doesn't look like how some of the old work looks, or if it doesn't have that into like, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to mind. Let's see, but I do think, and I think it's because of what I'm appreciating when I'm going into galleries now, works that I used to love from the past, I, I'm, I'm finding myself attracted to other to other works now where it's more, where I feel like the balance, where it's just balanced, where I can just go and feel like, oh, I feel balanced. So I'm seeing how I can bring that into my work as well. So the dreams, yeah, like you say, maybe it's something that, like say, is boring at the back of your mind anyway, and it just comes out and that's how it, because you can't sometimes pull it out to the forefront and that's how it is pulling out because we, you know we're inundated aren't we internet everything we're seeing everything and this and that and it's overwhelming and sometimes it's a little overwhelming yeah our attention span has reduced down to like a few seconds and everything is so fast-paced you know if you watch like a movie if it's really slow you're less likely to stick with it I think it's the same with art as well. I was having an interesting conversation with someone recently about how you just stop and look at other people in a museum. They stand in front of it for one second, take a photograph of it. I've documented it. I've seen it. And now I move on. And yeah, everything, every single part of our lives is so fast paced. It's really interesting that a lot of people are being drawn to this like slower paced, trying to just stop everyone, trying to slow everyone. And I think that uh, yeah, it's a really, really interesting challenge to try to do. And I love the idea of anything trying to slow people down. But it's hard. It is hard, but it, like you say, it's necessary because we're missing out. Even like myself, I've like, been watching a really great film and I might go on my phone. And it's like, when did I ever look at my phone while I'm watching a film? <laughs> like, it just shouldn't happen. It's like the biggest no-no because somebody's made that film as well. Like they've put parts in it that were meant to, that are taking a long time and a lot of consideration, a lot of writing, and then you're going to miss it. And that's, it's a shame. So I, I need to eat my own words <laughs> and do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it as well. So what do you enjoy most about your practice? I enjoy it as a life, like I was saying earlier, like as a lifestyle of being able to process ideas and go out and live and respond to it. And I feel that that, is what I enjoy. I, I love painting. I just love, love, love painting. Um, colour mixing. I love put, di- putting different colours next to each other and seeing that how that works and how that affects you. And most of my practice I love is it's just responding to what I see and being able to put it down on canvas or whatever way. Sometimes sound, sometimes a little bit of film. Um, I have worked with those mediums as well, but there's something about paint. Like, you know, people might say sometimes, like, painting is so still, how are you going to deal with like all the movement and things like that but I'm like I don't that's the challenge that is a challenge but so being challenged as well and being messy being 
being really messy, like painting all over my clothes and, be, and being allowed to be scruffy and messy and mumble. And it's all part of the process. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that mumbling in there. Got to get that mumbling in. Yeah, and not and not having to be super neat and, and being able to make mistakes and apply that as well. So my little boy, he he like, when he does a drawing, he, he literally will go through his whole sketchbook and rip out a page, draw a drawing, rip it out. It's not good enough, it's not good enough. And I'm trying to tell him, like, it doesn't matter. Like, mistakes are okay. And that is going to be part, that turning your practice into your life, like, mixing the two. It's definitely what I love. I don't see them as separate things anymore. And what do you find most frustrating about your practice? Because of the mess, because of the mumbles, I find most frustrating any kind of writing, even talking, any kind of explaining of works. Like, I, I don't always feel like I have the vocabulary to express myself and talk about the work. And I find that's the most frustrating for me is because I, I have it all in my mind that I, it makes sense and I digest things so I'm taking it in so I know it's there, but articulating it into words is for me the most frustrating thing of, of all of it, but without a doubt. I do think that's probably the most unfair thing as an artist because you choose to be an artist because you can't put it into words. You're not a writer. You've chosen to be an artist because visual language is what comes to you naturally. So then expect an artist to be able to articulate what they were feeling when they were making an artwork. Yeah, I do think that's that's probably like the most cruel side of being an artist. Yeah, writing artist statements, doing funding applications, all the things are all... I used to find like rejection um, really frustrating part of the practice actually, but I don't anymore. Luckily, I don't so much anymore because it kind of is like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, all right, you know, that's fine. For one, there's a lot of other people... And then you might see other people that have got through the competition. You say, okay, I see that. That's great. Like, and that's fine. But and funding applications, like, okay, I know I don't, I can't put it into words as such. I've not so, I used to find that really frustrating. But um, again, I think like, you have to let go of that. But definitely it's the admin. And social media, oh, I find that quite frustrating too. Because it's got to be instant, right? You've got to do everything so instant. Otherwise it loses its space and time. So unless you're on it and ready to do it right there and then, that's also another part. But it's like, it's all kind of quite like artist admin side, isn't it? Who's going to like that? <laughs> and my brushes go hard. I find that really frustrating. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How do you rescue them? I, oh, I just end up thinking I've got to reuse them. So they end up being the the things that, that squish down the dried paint. They end up becoming tools instead. <laughs> oh well, at least I don't go in the bin. But and life continues. Bin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, can you tell me more about your works in your current exhibition at Liminal Gallery? Again, again. So yeah, so I think we spoke quite a, a bit about them now, but uh, kind of sum, sum them up. Um, I would say they are they're like mini experiments like something that you might find in in your sketchbook, um, but they're just a little bit more worked than that. Mini paintings of my time in Sintra and responding to a lot of the myths as well, sort of the mythical stories from that place, like the magic, but then putting in more the everyday lifestyle as well. So it's kind of a crossover between um, reality and a, a little bit of storytelling. 
And looking at other artists, I found this wonderful artist, Quarabin um, Lapa, uh, looking at his work and just and seeing how other Portuguese artists as well have responded to to the surroundings and the colour palette. Obviously, Paula Rago, um, going down to see her Castle Cultural down there. She was, and actually, it was really great because during my time there, she had an exhibition on of her illustrations from the 1970s. And I thought, I have never seen these work. So they, they were a big inspiration of how she'd, kind of storytelled as well so that was a, a, a nice a nice happening because I never expected to see those so they're really beautiful and yeah and repetition a little bit motherhood in there in the playfulness I kind of would see my response to motherhood in me being a bit more playful and letting go a little bit because I'm teaching those things then my values that I'm trying to instill into my son so I'm thinking sometimes I've got to put them into my work and you said that they were quite experimental pieces as well it feels like a different direction to your other works yeah they are because I felt like that that was the time to do it and it was so wonderful working with you but you being so open to that I feel like there's there's not many opportunities you get where you've got that free space to really just like make what you want and then have a have a gallery say yeah go for it do it this is great (laughs) and be really encouraging and 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 I know that that's not that's going to be a rare thing because of other people's experiences of uh, you know, when I said, oh, it's so wonderful working with Louise, and a friend of mine, I remember her saying, oh, wow, you're going to look it. Like, because sometimes it's not that, it's not that straightforward. It's not that easy. So I really tried to make the most of that and experiment. And I know that if it, and I think we spoke about this as well, that it's okay because these little squares, if they go wrong, I just won't show them to anyone. And I only had two. Which like, is amazing. Because so <laughs> oh, I think there's like 50 something work. And there's one there that was like, oh, I don't like that one so much. And I'd ask people, oh, what's your favourite? And that was quite fun because I never asked somebody in an sh- exhibition, what's your favourite? But because of, the quality, because of the quantity, it's like a fun thing that you say, what's your favourite one? And the one that I didn't like, it, it, well, not didn't like, but I was like, nah. It's like, oh, that's my favourite. So it's like, oh, okay. That's interesting. No. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one sold as well. One of the ones that the least favourite. Amazing, <laughs> and I think that it was really interesting. So, you, so you've got like the square formats that are kind of like your diary, but also pulling on myths, and they're quite they're like little stories. Each one is a little story, and then you've got little rectangular works which are called movement. And I didn't realise. I don't know. Like I definitely saw a lot of dancing in them, but you said that they were people doing stretches, getting ready to go into the water. Yeah, they were my surfer warm up. They were the well, I was watching people with the surface warm up, and I just loved the, this idea that they're that they're warming up. Not they're not warming up just to have a dance, or just they're warming up to do something so much bigger than themselves. Like, and there's something about that. And, and then I, I did a surfing lesson. That's why I did some surfing lessons to feel it. And I and I kind of was like, okay, I get, I get not the first one because you don't know what to expect. But after like the third lesson, I was like, okay, we're well, you walk, you are warming up to. It's different. It's not just physical, it's like mental as well. So I kind of saw these rectangular movement people as kind of the warm up to life in a sense, like they're warming up for life. It's a, it's a, so I quite like to put them in between to, to be the brakes and kind of be okay. And the next day, the next day. Because the waves can get really, really big in Portugal, can't they? It's like a really big surfer community and it is quite dangerous. You just don't know what the waves are going to be like, what wave is going to crash into you, whether you're going to ride it or whether you're going to crash into it. It's quite a scary thing, isn't it? Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I remember being on, um, especially that coast, the Sintra coast, there's one beach, Pride of Grinch show, and it's just literally pull you off your feet. And 
one of the surfers that I was talking to and, and um, watching him and we were speaking, he was 60 something. He said, he's been surfing since he was 15. And he's like, every time I enter the water here, he was like, this is, like, yeah, she's, I think he actually said like, you don't know if you're going to come out. And I was just like, oh, wow. Especially on set. Because he was just astonished that we was messing about in the water. Like, he's like, you cannot mess about in the water here. He's like, you don't. He's like, it is strong. And I was like, oh, oops, sorry. But then he was telling me, so it's quite going for it. And even when I did my lessons, that was quite, I did it on a beach called Praia Grande. And there was, the waves are huge. I remember one point I, I tumbled, like I literally tumbled and smashed into another surfer into my cheek. <gasps> And I did the I did the age old thing that I've not done for years. I cried like I cried like a child. That's hard. And thought, ah! I just started crying. And then the server girl was like, "You were right." And I felt really stupid. I was like, "I'm fine because it, and it made me." Re- and funny enough, a couple of days before that, Sunny asked me, "He's like, mummy, why when kids hurt themselves they cry, but when grown ups hurt themselves they don't cry?" And I was like, "I don't know, Sunny." And then two years later, I got the answer. I was like, "Was they get shot?" <laughs> It is the shock. It's the shock. Raven's like rationalised it and go, well, that's what happened. And in the water then, it's the shock. But I, I don't think it was just the shock. I think just it's that complete, it's a powerful force that made me cry as well. So it's like, from her, like I'm, I'm overtaken. I'm just like completely overtaken here. But I got back There's on. no way you can stop yourself or control <laughs> where you fall or your movements. Like, you know, you can see what's going to happen, but there's no way you can fight it. Yeah, and the surface as well, and this idea of, like, the the water element of my work, and I felt like they were part of it as well, and I really, really respect that choice of what they do, having felt how hard it is as well, and it's kind of, like, in- interconnected as well, so I wanted to include those in the world. Well done for getting back up. <laughs> Thank you. It was kind of a wobbly upward, but it was up. <laughs> well, that's all my questions. So, Catherine Chinatree, thank you so much for joining me today on the Liminal Gallery podcast. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. You too. Thanks for having me. Catherine Chinatree's exhibition, Again Again, continues until the 5th of August at Liminal Gallery, 34 Fort Hill in Margate. We're open Thursdays, 11 till 4pm, Saturdays, 11 till 3pm, and outside these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website, www.liminal-gallery.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Henrietta Armstrong, who has an upcoming solo show entitled Sanctum Futurum, Relics and Forbidden Desires, opening on Friday the 11th of August to coincide with Margate Pride. Bye for now. (laughs) 